No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. He follows the philosophy rooted in his tax experience of, it's not what you make, but what you keep. And this focus on tax-smart investment strategies is all part of the fully integrated planning strategy known as the Madrona Bundle of Services. You'll hear Brian's thoughts on everything impacting your portfolio, from income to taxes, and from growth opportunities to long-term security. This is your source of comprehensive financial information. You'll soon understand why they call it the Madrona Difference. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. And welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you straight talk and honest answers about how to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. Thank you for joining us today. We have some valuable information for you during the coming hour that could change your financial life for the better. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions with the words of wisdom and the solid advice come from the expert Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear it. As always, I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Well, Brian, I would love to start one of these financial shows without talking about the coronavirus. We have done that for about the past month or so, but the coronavirus just keeps on coming at us here. There's a lot of news about the coronavirus, of course, going on, and coronavirus fears have caused some significant drops in the market lately. The Dow dropped more than 3,000 points about a week or so. The S&P fell as well, too. Do you think that the market is responding appropriately to the virus spreading around the world and the impact that it possibly could have? Boy, that's a tough question there, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> you know, it's it probably is because I think there's been uh, for quite some time. I mean, you, if you follow the markets and prognosticators on TV, they say, "Hey, we're supposed to have a correction every three years," or they say, "We're going to have a correction every seven years, even more than a correction, a crash." And so they kind of always say it like it's just kind of something you just put on your calendar. Oh, three years is you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, March third, uh, twenty. Oh, yeah, that's why it's happening. But then it didn't happen. So we had the the Great Recession in 2008, and then uh, three years go by, six, seven years go by, and everybody said, oh, we got to have something. We're going to have something. And, yeah, we did have something. We had even more increases than we'd ever had of 
at a rapidly rising rate. And so we kept going up, 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 up. And then everybody's saying, well, we got to have a correction sometime, sometime, sometime. Well, a year ago, December, we had one. And the S&P dropped close to 15%, plus or minus, essentially overnight. And when you look at the reasons behind it, I really couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. So I didn't react to that at all with my clients' portfolios because I'm thinking, why is this thing falling other than it's supposed to fall? And there wasn't, you know, the economic data didn't indicate that we had an overvalued market. Growth of profits was huge. That's why prices were up. So profits kind of drive markets. So I'm looking at that and we're going, I think that the selling was just begetting other selling because people expected it to happen at some point. So they, it's kind of a, they just felt like a correction was due. And so fast forward another year, and the market has another super year and hitting all-time record highs. And so people are kind of going, okay, when is this going to stop? Then comes the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, now we've got two things happening. We've got the coronavirus and the effects on corporate profits, which is a real thing. And we got that kind of pent-up thought that markets should be dropping at some point thrown in, I think, at the same time. Now, a market correction is defined by, what, a 10% drop, something like that? Yeah, and they would call it more kind of like a crash or, you know, there's more technical terms for that at 20%. But whether it's, you know, a 9.8%, oh, we didn't have a correction, or 10.2, yep, we had mm-hmm. a correction. I don't I don't think that's a magic number by any stretch of imagination. And, and you know, and, and certainly when the markets have gone up 20 and, and, you know, they're down 10, it's been a weird market because a lot of people say, hey, I made 20-something percent in 2019. Well, yeah, but if you go 2019 and one more month back, you're probably in single digits because of how bad the prior December was. And now you throw in this one, and I I was looking at my two-year change in markets, and I'm not just going to talk a stock market index. I'm talking about a global, basically investing in everything, balanced blended fund. So there's an ETF I was looking at, and it had large cap U.S., mid cap, small cap, developed, foreign emerging, foreign bonds, U.S. bonds. It had everything, okay? And so you look at that fund, you say, okay, that's probably fairly representative of the broad market globally. And so I looked at the change in that over the last two years with all of this thrown in, and I was kind of shocked. The change in the two-year blended global average of pretty much everything was a positive 0.7%. So all this stuff we went through, the rise in the market, the crash in the December, the huge increase that following year, the coronavirus, you put it all together and it's essentially unchanged over a two-year period start to finish. So that was kind of an interesting exercise. And I think what we're forgetting here is that uh, we're starting this epidemic at an all-time high, so the initial damage is probably going to be a whole lot more than it has been for the other 11 global health scares that we've seen over the last 20 years. I think we're going to find containment of this virus. We're just not close to that right now. So what do you tell investors who call and ask you whether or not they should stay in the market? Yeah, I I do tell them the sky's not falling because that's interesting what you just said about the other epidemics. I I did some research into that, uh, whether it was SARS, swine flu, bird flu, there was Ebola, Mm -hmm. Zika. I forget some of the other ones. And all of the ones that I looked at, I looked at the market when the news came out about those and the market uh, full 12 months later. In every case, uh, the market from start to finish in the 12-month period was up double digits. 
in every case. Uh, average is probably closer to 20. Now, I'm not going to say that's happening here. I'm just saying that that's what happened in the past with similar scares. And so one part of me looks at that and go, okay, long term, I think, you know, of course, we'll, we'll find a, a vaccine and, and they're working on them now. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's definitely going to come up. But what's going to happen in the meantime? That's what we want to address. What does all this mean, do you think, for the growth of corporate profits in the short term and the long term? As I've talked on this show for years, I try and get away from the noise. All the noise out there, hey, markets should go up because, you know, pork belly futures in Brazil are down, you know, or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, that's just a bunch of noise to me. And, and it drives me nuts when people are on TV and they're saying the markets are up due to or down due to X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you're just making that up there. <laughs> they're going to go up and down every day for reasons outside of whatever you just said. But uh, what drives the market long-term are corporate profits, period. That's what drives the market and the relative strength of corporate profits relative to the price of the, of the stocks. So long-term, the, the S&P 500 trades at about 16, 17 times corporate profits. That's what it does long-term. So it's, it's always going to kind of come back to that. And that's, as I was mentioning a year ago, December, I didn't react because, huh, corporate profits didn't drop a dime, yet the market dropped. Uh, all I saw was a buying opportunity. I didn't see a selling necessitated mm -hmm. opportunity. And so this one's a little different because what we have here is we've got borders closing. We have transportation shutting down. Now we have manufacturing shutting down or moving, and that takes time. Supply chain disruption is certainly a big deal. And if supply chains around the, the globe are disrupted, things don't get made. If things don't get made, things don't get sold. If things don't get sold, profits don't hit the books. Profits are damaged and stock markets are damaged. So I can definitely see, you know, with the some of the moves that we're seeing happen, that corporate profits are going to be damaged and that could absolutely affect the market. So how long do these market corrections usually last? I mean, in the past, some of these things have affected the market, but they've always bounced back. Do they bounce back in a matter of months? Does it take years? Does it take decades? Well, there's a $64,000 question. Uh, yeah, we don't know how yeah. long. I'm, I'm saying they will. I mean, they do. We'll get the vaccine. Supply chains will be fixed. And, and there can be some interesting outcomes from all of this. I think one thing that's going to be talked about later, and I certainly don't want to discount the reality of the coronavirus and the effect on certainly people passing away and their families and all of that. I'm just talking about it from a profitability financial standpoint. This is a financial show and this is mm -hmm. not a, a medical show whatsoever. But we may see, kind of sit back and go, wow, we sure had a lot of reliance on China. We went there with our factories. Apple's making all their phones there. We have all these companies there. And when China hiccuped, then wow, everything kind of shut down. Maybe we shouldn't be that reliant on China going forward. Maybe we should distribute to manufacturing. Maybe we should move some of it back to the States. Maybe we should move some of it to Mexico. Maybe we should move some of it to Vietnam or, or Indonesia or, or the Philippines, spread it out, have backup plans because we didn't have one before. And so I, I could see some interesting implications to kind of examining, okay, what happened and why and, and how did China do that? And, and we already had started some of that with the trade wars, you know, when the trade wars 
Wars hit, it's like, wow, I wish we hadn't built that factory in China. I wish we'd done it somewhere else. And now it's even going to be more to that effect. So I think China's going to have some some hurt come out of this because people are going to go, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, I, I just don't think I want to have all my eggs there just because your, your labor's cheapest on the planet. Maybe we'll just pay a little bit more to have things made in other places. That's called a, basically a manufacturing diversification strategy. Yeah, I think that's a very good point there. We're so reliant on China at this point. I think in the future, we would be well served to find other places in the world who could do the work for us that China has done. So if, you know, one sector is affected there, it's not just a major catastrophe. There are all these other places that we could go. And it's the same thing with investments, putting all your eggs into one basket. I got an idea where they can go. Michigan, Ohio, <laughs> Indiana. That's a good point. Pennsylvania. Very good point. Very, very uh, I good got point. lots of good ideas of places to go yeah. where uh, manufacturing uh, facilities are and there's a, a work ethic towards manufacturing. Yep. And, exactly. and maybe your Apple phone, instead of costing $300, is going to cost 400 So be it. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, I, I, I think that wouldn't be the worst thing ever. No, I would highly agree with you there. Coming from that part of the country, my father was in the manufacturing business. And of course, when things changed in the 70s, that sort of devastated that region. But bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. and in those states where manufacturing is something that the people have known for generations is a very, very good idea. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. My name is Jeff Shade, and we're here for you every week for your fiscal fitness, your financial education. We're going to continue with our program in just a moment, talking about maybe if this is a buying opportunity for you. In the meantime, if you would like a complimentary financial plan from Madrona Financial Services, a chance to sit down and sort of kick the tires here, you can do that by calling 844-MADRONA. That's 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Maybe you've got questions about your portfolio that you're building. Maybe you want a second opinion. Maybe you want to ask questions about passive real estate or even taxes. Of course, there's Bauer Evans CPAs here as well, too, working in concert with Madrona Financial Services. Once again, you can get that at no cost, no obligation by calling 844-MADRONA. 844-MADRONA or online at madronafinancial.com. We'll be right back with more after this. Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans will be right back with even more ways to help you stay focused on your retirement goals. Change is a part of life. Sometimes it can be great, like when you welcome a new grandchild to the family. But other times, like when your favorite TV show gets canceled, maybe not so much. Well, recently, the Retirement Secure Act was signed into law by President Trump, and this new change is one you're probably going to be happy with. Even so, there are many ways this new law may impact your retirement plans. So get prepared today by scheduling your complimentary review with Madrona Financial Services by calling 844-MADRONA. At Madrona, their goal is to help you create a custom plan built around your financial situation and unique goals for the future. They'll help show you how the new 2020 Secure Act and changing political landscape might impact your retirement outlook. Remember, while you may always be able to watch reruns of your favorite TV show, you don't always get a second chance at your retirement. No matter what happens in the future, the professionals at Madrona Financial Services are here to help. Call 844-MADRONA or visit them online at madronafinancial.com. Again, that website is madronafinancial.com. At Madrona Financial Services, we help people finance their retirement so they can spend their time living life instead of worrying about it. The fact of the matter is, your portfolio will likely need to last about 30 years or more. And the sooner you do something about it, the better off you can be. So if you're not 100% sure that your plan is rock solid, call us today at 844-MADRONA for a review. 
It's super easy. We'll ask you a bunch of questions to find out what's most important in your life and what makes you happy. Next, we'll review your current plan, and then our team will strategize on ways to make your portfolio, your tax strategy, your use of Social Security, and an estate plan better suited for you. At Madrona Financial Services, we want your retirement to be about living life, and we'll sweat the small stuff for you. Call us today for your free review at 844-MADRONA. That's 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Or visit us at madronafinancial.com. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about the coronavirus as it affects the markets. And Brian, as we mentioned in the first segment there, the coronavirus has caused the market to drop. Now we're in uh, full correction territory there of more than 10%. So when the market drops like this, I mean, when people call you up and say, hey, I want to get out of the market, and you ask them, well, are you going to get back into the market? And they say, yes. And you go, when? And they say, well, when the market's up. I mean, that's exactly opposite of what you want to do, right? Yeah, you want to buy low and sell high, not the other way around. And now I'm not saying you shouldn't get out of the market or you should. I'm just saying we have to consider that because there's two parts of that equation. There's, okay, I sold. And then, okay, what's your what's your strategy to get back in? Huh? Well, when the market's better, like you just said. And like, well, that'd be the wrong strategy because that means it's up. And you sold it to wait till it went up and then you got back in. So uh, you might want to just wait that one out if you think that's going to happen. Now, we always can probably feel pretty comfortable the market will recover and when has it not well that would be never that's what the the term all-time high means mm-hmm. it means that everything that's ever happened in the history of the world we've had a recovery through that period and the market ended up higher than that and we were just recently there so 100 percent of the times the markets recover it's just a matter of when and do you feel comfortable timing some of it now one of the the aspects of financial planning and one of the reasons i do this show is I don't do this show because I think the world needs another investment advisor saying that you should be 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds, which is pretty much 90% of the people I've seen out there. You go to the big outfits that have the, I can't name names, so I just say the ones with the football stadiums named after them. The big places like that, they tend to do, they look at you and go, well, I think we'll design a 60-40 stock bond portfolio for you. So you're all in the markets. Well, Okay, I guess that's not very interesting. And and so what we talk about on our, our show a lot is alternatives to the market, whether it be in alternative investments such as private non-traded REITs, uh, Delaware statutory trusts, fixed index annuities for lifetime cash flow, fixed index annuities for safe investing strategies, fixed annuities as alternative to CDs. We talk about all these different strategies, uh, FIU, fixed index universal life, premium financing, and I can go on and on about different strategies that aren't affected by the coronavirus in the same way or at all, in fact, in your portfolio. So having the right mix of that stuff, hopefully you already had it. So when these things happen, which they do, they do. We have corrections. We will have corrections. We'll have more of them. We'll have them our whole life, and uh, but we'll also have good times. So when they do, you set your portfolio correctly at the start. You don't have to react after the fact and go, oh, gosh, I better sell. I'm panicking. 
If you are an investor that is close to retirement, in retirement, or maybe you have just retired and you're still nervous about the market, the coronavirus, and the effect that it could have, is it a good idea, do you think, just to make yourself feel better, to take a little of that risk off the table? Well, like I said, you probably wouldn't want to take it off before. I just, I was just thinking as you were starting to ask that question, I was thinking back the last time since the coronavirus came about. And I have had contacts from my clients, everybody, every advisor has, but the percentage is about 2%. I've had about 2% of my clients call me and go, uh, shouldn't we be doing something or should we not? Or And uh, now, granted, I did record a video to all of them explaining what I was going to do and uh, got a pretty good response to that. And what I'm going to do, I, I may or may not share on here. Uh, I did take some steps. I, I did, well, I'll share some of it. Even with uh, the investments that are situated the way they are for my clients, and most of them have certainly that allocation to some of those strategies I just mentioned, or, or all of them, the market part has me definitely concerned in the short term. I also feel like I know it's going to recover in the longer term, especially when they start making some progress on vaccinations. So there might be a period of time where we we are a little proactive. And uh, I, I think I will keep to myself what I did for my clients, not because I want to not share it with anybody here, but I think the SEC doesn't like me giving investment advice on the radio. Absolutely not. So I'm just going to say I made some steps. I made mm-hmm. some moves. And that's that's where I'm going to leave that. But for the most part, most of my clients, again, are taking advantage of some of these alternative strategies. And I think that that would be a big reason why they didn't have to feel like they were had to panic and call me up and go, what are we doing? Should I bail? And they're going, well, as we talk about on the show all the time, I want corrections like this to be, they should be annoying. Mm-hmm. I don't want that, but they, they should annoy you. It's like, wow, my statement balance went down on the part that's in the market, but they shouldn't be life-changing. And that's my hope for our clients that we did a, a good enough job getting to know them, how they would react to good and bad markets, especially bad markets, and uh, where they're at in life, what their cash flow is, you know, know everything about them, put them in investments that make sense so that when these things happen, they don't have to panic. Does this down market present a good buying opportunity? And if you think so, what are some of the traits of stocks that you may want to consider? Well, it will create a good buying opportunity. I hate to say that. And, uh, case of a terrible thing like the virus, but you know markets will drop to a point and then they will recover almost as quickly probably as they dropped. It doesn't take long once some good news hits and, mm-hmm. and some sentiment changes and smart money starts going back in the market and everybody starts jumping on that bandwagon. And we saw that a year ago, December, you know, the markets dropped, like I said, close to 15%. A month later, they recovered close to 15%. It happened so quickly. I mean, that's a huge percentage change in a month. Two directions, opposite directions. So we will see a, a correction, but it's not just the market because we, you know, we're trying to always define what is the market. Stock market, if we're talking about stock market, bond market, uh, real estate markets, if we're just talking stock market, we're talking U.S. market or foreign or emerging markets, small cap, mid cap, large cap. So we have all these different sub markets and within those sub markets, we have sectors. And so we might want to look at sectors. So while we're having a tough time with 
profits. Certain sectors seem to take it on the chin worse than others, such as energy, the energy sector, or leisure, hotel travel, those kinds of things that you do with your disposable income. They might tend to suffer a little bit more as opposed to necessity-based retail, stuff we're going to buy anyway, or mm-hmm. or certain things that we kind of can't do without, uh, whether that be utilities or, again, uh, uh, necessity-based stuff. So, you know, it depends on the sector. And then there's the wild card of technology, which remains to be seen how that might affect be affected by supply chain disruption. Well, I think we are going to see 5G in terms of technology and so forth. But again, you know, a wise investor does all the research and considers all of the factors before making that investment. I wanted to talk about the swine flu and the SARS. I mean, swine was 2009, SARS 2003. Average was a rebound in six months. If you are older, if you're already in retirement, does that change your outlook on your investing strategy as opposed to someone who maybe has 15 years to go till retirement? Well, again, that's a, that's a great question because I would suspect that, let's say that even listen to the show when you came to us a year ago and looked at your portfolio and said, okay, we better design something that provides you increasing lifetime cash flow in a number of different ways and some protection against market losses, some opportunities outside of the markets and, and all of that. We have that stuff in place so that when the market takes a dive, you're not pulling all of your money out of the market to live on because once you pull that money, you can't recover that. So you pull it out when it's low, well, it's not there to recover. So we want to have it so that you can maybe kind of leave that market piece alone while it's going through a, a tough time so that you're not pulling it out in the trough, you're, allow, you're allowing it to recover, then it kind of doesn't matter. If you uh, buy something at 10 and sell it at 12, but in between it went down to 7, but you still got 12 for it later, that sounds like a 20% increase. It doesn't matter that it went down to seven. You didn't sell at seven. So who cares? And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. If you can ride that thing out and you believe it's going to recover, which I do, I do believe the market will recover. <laughs> we will see 30,000 at some point here with the Dow. It's just a matter of time and when that happens, not if. As we talk on this show, I remember the Dow was 1,000 once. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm 100 years old. My son teases me that I am, but uh, I'm not, okay? Just so everybody knows, I'm not 100 years old. And so, but, you know, I'm seeing it go 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 25,000. You know, it goes up over time. It's what it does, but uh, not in a straight line at all. So, Brian, what's the takeaway from all this? I'm invested in the market. Maybe I'm a little more heavily invested in the market than I should be. What is the takeaway? How should I react to this or should I react at all? What's your advice? Uh, you would want to have a financial plan done. I'll, I'll be self-serving here for people with at least 500000 of investable assets. We want to do your plan for you. It doesn't cost you anything. We look at everything for the rest of your life. We look at how you're situated, and we t- discuss options on how to make that better. I've never heard anybody think that was a wasted hour of their life to go over the free financial plan. We provide, explain what they have, what they could have, educate them on some alternatives, and just say, well, here they are. We also run a second financial plan saying, okay, here's what it could look like in our projections using our assumptions if you instigated some of those things that we came up with. So it's a great way to compare what you have to what you could have to see if that change makes sense. Generally, for most people, I would say they say, well, yeah, that's pretty solid advice. Sometimes the advice is not move your money to us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that advice is you're fine with these right here. I can't do better on your long-term care policy. 
and uh, you should pay off your house with that excess cash you have there because you're not getting much of an interest write-off deduction, if any. And they look at me like, well, that's it? You, you're not going to ask for my money? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. But I here's some advice and, and stay the course. You're, you're doing just fine by yourself. So if that's the answer, great. Then that's the answer. So getting that education from someone that, that understands to look at it and is fiduciary, held to the fiduciary standard, and can't sit down with that. That's what we do at Madrona. That's our profession here. So that would be my advice. Uh, otherwise, I can't really give investment advice, as I mentioned on the radio. I can't say whether market's going to be up or down next week, next month, or, or in this year to come. I just know you know, what I, what I think longer term. But I, I know there's more out there than just the market. So if you want to talk specifics with Brian or the investment advisors here at Madrona Financial Services, as Brian says, they do offer a complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan. And that's going to be the key right there. To get yours, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. You can also request one online at madronafinancial.com. And I think it's important to note that Brian said that you may come in here, they may take a look at your plan and say that you're good as you are. As Brian said, they are a fiduciary. That means that they'll act in your best interest at all times. So if you've got a plan and you want a second opinion, bring it in. If you don't have a plan, you want a place to start, come in and sit down. As Brian said, it'll take about an hour. It doesn't cost you anything. And again, no obligation. No one is going to lock the door behind you and insist that you sign on the dotted line. So with that in mind, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. Once again, you can request your plan online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll be right back with more of our show after this. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Hi, this is Brian Evans, president of Madrona Financial Services. As a CPA and wealth manager, I've had lots of clients who owned highly appreciated real estate. And when it was time to sell that property, they all ran into the same problem, a huge tax bill. Up to now, some of their only options were to either follow the strict requirements of a 1031 exchange for another property or pay the hefty tax on the gain. We have access to another option to help our clients. It's called a DST. With a DST, you can still receive the benefits of property ownership like passive income, but you won't be responsible for all the debt or management. And best of all, a DST may meet the qualifications for your 1031 exchange. Now you can potentially defer the tax hit on your highly appreciated property and still get the benefits of investing in real estate. Call us today at 844-MADRONA to learn more about our DST program or visit us online at madronafinancial.com. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. In today's fast-paced world, we're used to having information at our fingertips. And when you're trying to research something, more information is always better especially when it comes to retirement planning. That's why Brian Evans, founder of Madrona Financial Services, has made his 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement available for free. You can get your free copy by visiting madronafinancial.com. The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement covers the basics of retirement planning. Brian shares his thoughts on investing, taxes, estate planning, lifestyle, and more. As a CPA and investment advisor, Brian has the knowledge to help make your retirement planning process manageable. Brian has also been a featured speaker on CNBC and Fox Business. The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement will give you a thorough analysis from an expert. Madrona Financial offers beneficial information to properly prepare for retirement. Get your free copy of the 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement by visiting madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. 
You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to talk about how the economy and politics work together. And Brian, of course, we've talked about the uh, coronavirus. A lot of people are worried about that. But let's switch to the political scene here and how it may affect investors. On the Democratic political scene, of course, Uncle Bernie, Bernie Sanders, an admitted socialist, seems to be gaining momentum and he's leading some polls. Does his ascent, considering his politics, do you think have investors worried and should they be? Well, they will worry, I suppose, if his poll numbers go up versus Trump and he, it looks like he could be elected or is elected. I mean, that certainly would worry a lot of people because, you know, we'll talk about some of the effects of uh, socialism and, and that on economies and really get down to it because one of the things I was thinking about driving in today was an analogy of what I think socialism is. Socialism to me is, let's just say I've got a whole stack of mail and it's everybody offering to lend me, uh, give me credit for no payments for two years on a credit card at $20,000 each. I go, well, that sounds great. So I send in my information. I get 10 credit cards. I, over the next 12 uh, to 24 months, I load them up. I put $200,000 worth of stuff on there. This is great. I'm loving life. I'm having a good time. I I got everything I want. In the short term. In the short term. (laughs) In the short term. I might have to spend the rest of my life paying that back for that those bad decisions and wish regretting that you know all the stuff I bought wore out it's gone there's nothing left to show for it and the only thing left to show is the bill and that bill I can barely make the interest payments on because it was just so freaking large. <laughs> and so uh, that to me is socialism in a nutshell. All right. Well, Bernie has suggested, of course, adding something like 20, 30, 40 trillion dollars to the federal deficit. I mean, this deficit, who do we owe this deficit to? People. People own everything. And it, it drives me nuts when they say corporations are getting rich. Uh, I got news for everybody. No corporation is owned by itself Mm -hmm. in the final analysis. One corporation might own another, might own another. You go down the line. But at some point, the final corporation at the top of the pyramid there is owned by individuals, individual shareholders, people, walking people own corporations. They own bonds. They own investments. They own real estate. It's people that own them, and people could be uh, substituted for pension plans, which are paid to people. And so pension plans, Social Security, individuals, their 401k plans own stocks. They own bonds in the final analysis. So it's actually people that own the equities, they own the real estate, and they own the bonds, meaning that the government owes people that invest in bonds. So when we talk about the federal deficit there being what it is, it's owed to pensions, Social Security, it's owed to the people of the United States. And uh, Bernie Sanders is proposing that we make that deficit even bigger. So if we owe all of this money to the people, if he makes the deficit even bigger, who's going to pay for that? Well, to be fair, every politician since I can remember, the last politician I can remember actually that cared about the national debt was probably Ronald Reagan. And after that, it was uh, a little funny story about this one. 
the depth of knowledge of some people. I, uh, one of the employees of, of our firm at the time spent an entire lunch hour arguing with me, telling me how wrong I was because I was pronouncing his name Ross Perot, when it's clearly, uh, if you look at how it's spelled, his name is Ross Perot. And that was our deep political discussion. He was the last one I can remember saying anything about the debt. You got to give credit to the American people. I mean, they do their research. They watch the debates. You know, they really dig down deep and find out everything there is to know about the candidate. Then they go into the voting booth and they vote for the candidate with the best hair. <laughs> there, there you have <laughs> right? Although I don't, I don't know if you can look at Donald Trump and say that hair is great, but it's sure interesting. Yeah, we don't have the best hair running for president this time. But I think Bernie Sanders is going to be in a little bit of a trouble there. He's not got yeah, that. He doesn't have the hair. No, he doesn't have good hair. And the other thing is that the dialect or the, or the accent that he has may not play all across middle America, too. Yeah, that, that, that could very well be. But yeah, I was, I was thinking about other things that I've heard said and, you know, even getting by the debt, just saying, well, we're going to pay for this by taxing somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, taxing somebody doesn't create wealth. In fact, I would argue it will do the opposite long term. But in the short term, you get their money. Now, who's, what's going to fill that void? So let's say we went after the oil and gas industry, Exxon, Chevron, everybody else that's in the oil and gas industry and said, you're the problem. We're going to tax you at 90% because we think you're the problem. We'll solve everything by getting money from you and spending it not on green stuff. This is the other thing that bothers me. They're spending the same dollar four or five times over in these proposals. They're going to spend on Medicare or whatever they're going to do. But we're going to tax that company. Well, that company is going to go, huh, uh, I could just leave gas at three bucks a gallon uh, for everybody. But I don't know. Jeff, do you think they're going to raise the price of gas if their tax is 80, 90 percent? I think so. Oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, when you go to the gas pump and you see that gas is now $15 a gallon and to fill your car is $300, do you think you might have some change in behavior, Jeff? I think so, too. I think I'm going to put those feet to work (laughs) and do a little more walking and leave that car in the garage. Okay. Well, that's fine. We won't be driving cars. But what just happened to the revenue we projected if people aren't buying gas, I would assume that Chevron Exxon are collecting a fraction of what they did before. So now our revenue is messed up. And so we don't have that tax. And now what are we going to do if we were projecting that everybody's going to continue to drive as much as they did before? Instead of 60 bucks to fill your tank, it's $300. And they're just going, oh, well, I'll just do that. But then you know, we had some other things that they want money for. So now the payroll tax has to be adjusted from maybe 7% to 27%. I think under Warren's, uh, one of her recommendations, I won't raise taxes on the middle class. Well, sure, not income taxes, but it'd be payroll taxes would have to be raised 20, 25, 30%, which used to be the amount that you were paying out of your pay for your mortgage. So now instead of paying your mortgage, you're going to pay more payroll taxes and filling up your gas tank at 300 bucks a shot. All right, now I got to make choices here. And so economies just go down, plunge down the toilet uh, when the long term effects of these kinds of policies are put in play. The other thing I would caution on is, again, with the numbers that you're, you're saying, I know that the 1% is going to pay for all of this, except that the 1% doesn't even make, if you tax them at 100% and they continue to work, which they wouldn't if they're taxed 100%, but let's say you did, you still wouldn't pay for these programs. So <laughs> we got a problem there. So we can say the 1% is going to pay for student loans, fine, or for Medicare for all, fine, or for the Green New Deal, fine, or for all these other things, fine. But you're not going to be able to spend the same thing 
spending four or five different times. You get to spend it once, not five times. Mm-hmm. It's one dollar. You get to spend that one dollar one time. You mm-hmm. don't get to spend it five times over just because you want to. So, you know, the math skills I'm hearing from the candidates is really hurting. I'm not going to let Trump off on this one either. I wish that he hadn't raised the debt with the, the tax cut. I wish there was some offset when that tax cut was done. I, uh, you know, I, I think that the debt is going to hammer us someday, that next generation, maybe not our generation. I'm not 100 years old, Jeff, but I am old. And so it's my kids I'm worried about. And so I wish that a politician would address the debt. I think it's real and I think we need to address it. But boy, the stuff I've been hearing about is the exact opposite of that. Like it doesn't even matter. Well, I'm a couple of years older than you, too. So I guess if you're old, I must be ancient. And uh, I'm surprised people can even understand us here on the radio. We're, we're so darn old. We still got most of our teeth, though, so we can pronounce <laughs> the words well. If Bernie's ascent does continue and he appears to be a serious candidate, and it looks like he may win the election. Would that affect the way that you handle people's investments insofar as tax mitigation goes, considering that Bernie wants to get this money from taxes? Yeah, I'm actually putting together a a new seminar uh, right now. I'm working on the PowerPoint. I've written the Kiplinger article on it. Uh, It's tax-free investment strategies because people might say, well, tax rates are low right now. Why should I worry about it? Well, yeah, they're low now and they might be low uh, five years from now. But I always get people's attention when I go, but what about in 15 years when AOC is your president? And they go, oh, what? what? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that could happen. Like, well, or someone of similar ilk, and maybe the millennials are just, there's more of them than the old people because they start dying off and uh, the votes just, I mean, we're talking about socialist president in 2020. What about 2035? Right. I mean, right. absolutely could happen. What would the tax rate be? Oh, well, we've had 94% in this country. It had to be pretty high. And all the candidates are saying that. And people that don't pay it say, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'll vote for them. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more people not paying those high brackets than are. And so the people that are don't have enough votes. So if someone else is going to pay for something, you go, well, yeah, I'll vote for that. And so the seminar is going to be about how do we have zero tax rates in the, in the future from our investments. There are ways to do that. There's strategies that we employ to get you into that zero percent bracket for a fraction or a or larger portion of your investments. Well, if a socialist runs for president and he or she has great hair, then we're going to be in trouble because we know <laughs> oh, that, my goodness. that's what makes a big difference there. Well, I think if the economy is doing as well as it is today, Brian, if the president's approval rating is the same on election day as it is today, and if turnout is typical, and I mean the average turnout for the D's and R's as it's been historically, then the president should win the election and it should be business as usual. But but those are some pretty big ifs, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to uh, project the election at all. In fact, uh, I remember last election, we had all the projections. They all agreed, and they were all sure they were right. And only <laughs> one problem, they were all wrong. They were all wrong, <laughs> so exactly. I'm, I'm not here to say who, who can and can't, and, and I don't know uh, what kind of messes uh, the tweets are going to cause uh, over the next several months or, or you know whether Bernie's even going to be able to keep up with the rigors of this campaign. I mean, he just had a heart attack. Right? Yeah, he's an older fellow. Yeah, and so, you know, there's there's a lot of uncertainties out there. It could get crazy here 
Uh, I think, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people are even, even I was reading about Democrats being interviewed in some of the states where the caucuses are happening, the primaries are happening, and they're not too excited about the prospect of, you know, I've heard a lot of them say, I'm a Democrat for life, but I'm also a capitalist. Right. But I'd rather have, you know, a lamppost and Trump as president, and now i got to <laughs> vote for a socialist. And they're just yeah. going, oh, my goodness. That is unfortunate that people are voting just because they vote against the other party there and not yeah. because they're voting for the best person. Unfortunately, that is the way that it is. And all we can do is hope for the best, but plan. And that's the big word, plan for the worst. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. My name's Jeff Shade. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this. Discussing the financial issues that matter most to you. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Time for today's edition of Growing Your Wealth, presented by Madrona Financial. Here's Brian Evans. Today I want to continue talking about passive real estate investments and talk about Delaware Statutory Trusts often with the 1031 exchanges, but I want to focus on the real estate investment trust today. So a real estate investment trust is also a mix of real estate that is managed by a trust on behalf of its shareholders. And it has multiple shareholders so that you don't have to be a landlord. Now there's two primary different kinds of real estate investment trusts out there. There's publicly traded real estate investment trust and private non-traded real estate investment trust. And even that can be broken into a couple different categories. So with a publicly traded real estate investment trust, you can buy them, you can sell them in an exchange traded fund or a mutual fund or individual company like a, a share of stock and they trade on the stock market. So as such, they have to remain somewhat liquid. So they often have a lot of cash investments within a, a fund of those and so forth. So they're not always fully invested in real estate. One of the attributes with real estate investment trusts is that a lot of them have been around a long time and their properties are maybe a little bit older than you might like and maybe have bought in areas that you don't really want to invest in. With private non-traded REITs, they're typically funded by newer money and they're buying into areas that you may like a little bit better and maybe have a little bit better yield. They're less liquid than publicly traded REITs though too. There's many other nuanced differences between those, so give us a call if you'd like to learn more. And that was Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, Madrona Financial, Investments, Retirement, Taxes, and Legacy. Madrona Financial. Get your free copy of Brian's latest book, The Complete Book of Retirement. It covers everything from the basics of retirement planning to passive real estate investing. Arm yourself with information and take control of your retirement. Call Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA for your free copy or visit madronafinancial.com. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about an article I read from a qualified intermediary discussing the best large cities to buy investment property in 2020. And Brian, a lot of our information here is backed up by facts, of course. This is from the company IPX, and they published this article that's rather interesting titled, The Best Large Cities to Buy Investment Property in 2020. And the first thing that jumps out at me about this article is that there are absolutely none any further west than Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah, and I get asked that a lot because a lot of people are thinking this might be a good time to sell their investment property for many different reasons. It could be that they're just older, they don't want to be a landlord. It could be that their property is older and they have a lot 
lot of repairs, deferred maintenance. It could be that they're concerned about owning in Seattle, where as a landlord, you're kind of the enemy to the Seattle City Council and, you know, rent control on its way and tenants that, you know, you can't screen and you can't evict and it's really tough for you to own there. So there's a lot of reasons why someone might sell in uh, Puget Sound. But it is interesting to note that none of the properties on their list are that are considered the best places to buy are even remotely close to the West Coast. Right. And some of the cities here, not all of them, include Colorado Springs, Aurora, Colorado, New Orleans, Corpus Christi, Cincinnati, Ohio, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Tampa, Lexington, and Philadelphia. Now, we were talking about Delaware Statutory Trust and the fact that if you do own a property here in the West Coast, it is a good time to sell that property, we think at least. And of course, your uh, individual circumstance may vary, but we're not suggesting that these are cities that you want to invest in as far as a Delaware Statutory Trust. Well, uh, actually, I wish I could, but uh, Delaware Statutory Trusts, they're set up and at any given time, it's not like the stock market where I have thousands of stocks to pick from or mutual funds or ETFs. Uh, I only have a, a small handful that we have vetted that we think are good investments, and they're going to be wherever those sponsors decided they would be. Now, granted, uh, over the last couple of years, there have been many in and around some of these cities that are mentioned here. I, I see there's certain cities in Colorado. You've got ones in Texas. You have ones in Florida. Well, as a matter of fact, I've put a lot of people in DSTs in Colorado, Texas, and Florida. Texas and Florida specifically, they have no state income tax like the state of Washington. But these are high growth areas that people are moving to. And so the DST sponsors have determined these would be good places to buy. They don't always buy in those areas, but they're trying to buy in the best areas. So I just thought it'd be a nice discussion point to say, because I am asked all the time, is there any DSTs in Washington State? Well, no. I, how about the Seattle area? No, the mm -hmm. cap rates aren't good enough. There just aren't any good buys here. So one part about this article that they're trying to point out is that uh, once you look at the rents and the cost of living there and property taxes and growth of population and so forth, they have determined that these are maybe the top 10. There's others on the list too, as we go down from 10 to 20 to 30, that again, are oh, those are familiar. I, I bought DSTs there too. So, you know, it's important if you're investing in real estate, you buy good real estate that's managed by a good company that's in a good growing area. So the Delaware Statutory Trust, you're investing in areas that are on the growth trend here. These are areas that are up and coming. Typically, they're many times in the sunshine states, as you said, Texas, they're in Florida. And when you invest in these DST properties, really you're investing in properties that have the potential to grow dramatically and to give you some good returns. But the icing on the cake is going to be the tax savings. Yeah, uh, tax savings and the cash flow you're going to get from them. And it depends on the type of property. So certainly if you're buying apartment buildings, self-storage, uh, hotels uh, within DSTs, I got to get them where the, the population is growing and, and we have good demographics and all of that good stuff that people are moving to uh, these places you're wanting to travel there. If I'm buying a necessity-based retail or uh, maybe a warehouse distribution center, senior centers, those kinds of places, student housing, they don't necessarily need to be in those same kinds of cities. So again, uh, you know, when you're buying real estate, when you're investing in DSTs, you know, with anything, you want to sell at the right time, you want to buy at the right time. So maybe you've considered selling is the right time in the Seattle market, the Pacific Northwest market. 
might be a good time to sell your property. Well, that's half the equation. Now the other half we would provide if you want to do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust, we could provide that other half for you by helping vet the properties where they're at, the type of properties, the sponsors, all the ins and outs of the reinvestment. Now this article by IPX lists about 30 different states here, 30 different cities, I should say, but that doesn't mean that there are that many Delaware statutory trusts at any one time that are basically good to invest in. How many Delaware statutory trusts at any one time do you have to choose from? Yeah, often that number is only about 6 to 12. They fill up quick, the good ones. I mean, when the sponsor goes out and buys a property and gets it leased out and then puts a DST wrapper on it and and they let let us know that it's coming out and it's going to be available. I know certain ones, they're going to be fully subscribed before the, the date they even announce it to the general public. And some of them take just a week or two. And, and so we have to be pretty nimble. Now we can reserve ahead of time so that once we uh, once they're open, we can review the documentation on it before we invest. But boy, it's getting tough out there. It's, uh, DST is getting pretty popular, although still I'd say 98% of realtors, CPAs, investment advisors never heard of one. But I used to say 99%. So now it's only 98, I guess, so or 97, I don't know. But uh, yeah, they're getting a little bit more popular as people age and they're thinking it's a good time to sell their investment real estate. So Brian, this list from IPX mentions all these properties that are uh, good deals at least to invest in as far as real estate goes. Why wouldn't I want to just invest in a house or buy houses in these properties versus maybe buying a Delaware statutory trust? Yeah, well, the Delaware statutory trust does offer a lot of different types of real estate you can get into. There are certain private non-trader REITs that do different types of properties. You know, there's every kind of property you can essentially buy in as a percentage owner in. It could be rental houses, but it might be a REIT that owns a whole bunch of rental houses. It can be, you know, apartment buildings. It can be student housing, senior living facilities. All, anything out there pretty much is available. But the thing about the DSTs, which is specific to them, is they qualify for Section 1031 treatment and none of these other investment vehicles do. So if you're selling your property and you have a big tax hit, potentially, if you sell it and you want to avoid that tax hit and it potentially permanently eliminate it so that when you pass away, it goes to your spouse or your heirs, income tax, capital gain tax, depreciation recapture tax free, then you have to use a DST if you don't want to be managing your own property till the day you die. If you want to be a part owner in something big like this, you have to use a DST for it to qualify for Section 1031 exchange treatment. So if I'm an active landlord, you have to consider that as an active landlord, there is a lot of work to do there. As you said, there's some maintenance on these things. And when you really look at what you're getting in terms of rent, what you've spent on repairs and taxes and all that sort of thing many times, I mean, it just doesn't add up. As a DST owner, you are a passive landlord. Those properties are professionally managed for you. I just thought of a reason why you wouldn't do a DST. You're not an accredited investor. That's you right. You have a million dollar net worth outside right. of your principal residence to do a DST. So, you know, people have heard, oh, I, I think I want to think about doing one of these. I got it. Well, the first question I got to ask you is, you know, what does your financials look like? Because that's just not allowed to do it if you don't have a million dollars or, you know, you're not an accredited investor. That's right. So to find out if you're an accredited investor, whether or not a Delaware statutory trust might be a good option for you, again, I invite you to call 844-MADRONA, 844-MADRONA. Get in and sit down with one of the advisors here who knows about Delaware statutory trusts and get your questions answered. You can also log on to the website, which is madrona1031.com. That's madrona1031.com. That is a website that 
that specifically talks about Delaware Statutory Trust and passive real estate investing. Well, once again, Brian, we're out of time for this week for our show. Before we go, I want to thank everyone for listening to us today. The executive producer of Growing Your Wealth is John Capuano. Our director of program operations is the cookie monster, Greg Dinitz. Our show is produced by the lovely, talented, and dangerous six-degree black belt, our Swedish princess, Stephanie Schobla. Maite Talavera is our associate producer. Laura McLaughlin's our content supervisor. Josh Toys, our technical editor, and Superboy Pete Gustin is our announcer. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great Saturday. We'll talk to you again next week with a Another edition of Growing Your Wealth. Madrona Financial Services is proud to announce the 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement, Retirement Strategies for Everyday Life. The brand new 2020 edition empowers your retirement knowledge to guide you on retirement investing, annuities, and passive real estate investing, as well as information for the high net worth investor. You can download your free copy today by visiting madronafinancial.com. To help prepare for a prosperous retirement, get your free copy of the 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement today by visiting madronafinancial.com. You own highly appreciated real estate and have decided to sell. You may be faced with limited options that could result in a substantial tax bill. Now, there may be another option. It's called a DST, and it can offer the benefits of real estate ownership without all of the baggage. Brian Evans and his team at Madrona Financial Services are available to see if a DST could be right for you. Call 844-MADRONA to learn if you can invest in real estate without the hassles of being a landlord. You won't be responsible for the debt or management, yet you may still receive passive income. Best of all, the DST program offers a ready-made solution that may satisfy your 1031 exchange requirements, which could provide full tax deferral on the sale of your investment property. Call the team at Madrona Financial Services right now at 844-MADRONA to learn more about DSTs and if they are right for you. That's 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Change is a part of life. Sometimes it can be great, like when you welcome a new grandchild to the family. But other times, like when your favorite TV show gets canceled, maybe not so much. Well, recently, the Retirement Secure Act was signed into law by President Trump, and this new change is one you're probably going to be happy with. Even so, there are many ways this new law may impact your retirement plans. So get prepared today by scheduling your complimentary review with Madrona Financial Services by calling 844-MADRONA at Madrona. Their goal is to help you create a custom plan built around your financial situation and unique goals for the future. They'll help show you how the new 2020 Secure Act and changing political landscape might impact your retirement outlook. Remember, while you may always be able to watch reruns of your favorite TV show, you don't always get a second chance at your retirement, no matter what happens in the future. The professionals at Madrona Financial Services are here to help. Call 844-MADRONA or visit them online at madronafinancial.com. Again, that website is madronafinancial.com.